This time we have our silent singers. They're going to come and share with us tonight. Looking forward to that. Sent 
forgave my sin and set me free. It was His love that made a home in eternity. It was Jesus' love that made a way for me. tonight. Turn over to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going right into our promotion here starting really tomorrow. Uh, kind of moves right on into it. We'll be involved in that for the next three weeks. So we'll have uh, the, let's see, today's the 5th, so we'll have the, the uh, 12th, the 19th, and the 26th will be our, our Sundays. We'll end it all on the 26th, actually. That'll be the final day. But between there, there's three full weeks. So between now and next Sunday, then the following Sunday, and then one more Sunday. So, Tuesday night, 6.30. Thursday night, 6.30. And then, of course, Saturday, 9.30 in the morning. Okay, so we're looking forward to that. And then I've uh, also asked uh, that if you're unable to go and you'd like to be a part of the prayer time together, you're welcome to come on Saturday morning also, be a part of our Go Rally, and then uh, pray uh, if you can, you know, you pray for a half hour, an hour, an hour and a half, whatever it is, whatever you want to do there, however you want to work it. But boy, we certainly could use the prayers as we're out and about doing the work of the Lord. So uh, we certainly need that work being done as well. And so today, I just want to bring a message um, <clears throat> that uh, is out of the book of First Samuel chapter 30. Uh, I'm not really, uh, the message itself will be kind of a, it'll, it'll come forth from that. But uh, we're not necessarily going to expositorily break this down. We're just going to look at it and use it as a tool to get into, uh, teach the thought that I think is important as we move into our promotion, okay? And uh, just as a church, uh, it's something, a thought that we need to always be reminded of. And remember, it's probably nothing new. It's not uh, that probably profound in relationship to what you've heard in the past. But it is something simple that we need to always remember. So let's begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 30 in verse one. And we are going to read basically the whole chapter. So let's go ahead and read that together, at least through verse 25, at least. Uh, well, yeah, probably. We'll just go through verse 25, probably. Chapter 30, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, and smitten Ziglag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives and that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, 
was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam, the, the Jezreelites, Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. And David said to Abiathar, uh, Abiathar the, the priest, Ahimelech's uh, son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and four hundred men, for two hundred abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. They found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat. They made him drink water and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs, two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. David said unto him, To whom belongest thou? Whence art thou? <clears throat> and he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to a, a, a Malachite, my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the uh, Cherethites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? He said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man of them save four hundred young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. There was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. David took of all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those other cattle and said, This is David's spoil. And David came to the two hundred men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Bezar. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men, and men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, Because they were not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward 
that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. We have an interesting passage here. And again, we often spend a lot of time on that verse 6 where we talk about David encouraged himself in the Lord. And obviously, and of course, we should spend a lot of time on that. If there's an area in the Christian life that often is lacking, it's the element of being able to go to God and be encouraged in Christ. You know, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to always need someone else to lift us up, someone else to encourage us, someone else to enable us and empower us even at times, when in reality, David shows us here that even when the chips are down, when everybody's against you, it's the Lord Jesus Christ that we need. We need to be able to go into His presence and find the encouragement that we need. We see an invasion that took place. Of course, we know from the passage as well as from uh, prior knowledge that uh, these Amalekites had come and they had attacked Ziglag and, of course, they defeated it. David and his men were gone at the time. They take the ladies, they take the, the, the boys, the girls, the wives, and so forth. They take them all uh, out as part of the spoil. They take all their goods and riches, and, boy, they just clean up. And by the time the men of, uh, of God, by the time David's men, I should say, return to the camp and to Ziglag, they they are shocked. I mean, they can't believe what's transpired. They've burned the city down. They've burned things. They've looted. They've pillaged, in a sense. They've taken everything away. And here they are, concerned for the very welfare, the very lives of their families, of the very lives of their wives. And they're just so distraught, so upset, so ups- over, you know, just uh, sick to their stomachs that they find themselves weeping and crying out probably to God and to each other. But David, he found encouragement once again, even though the people wanted to kill him. And again, they were discouraged. The people were upset. The people were burdened. They had a a great hurt in their heart. And as a result, they wanted to blame somebody, and it happened to fall on David. Well, finally, David approaches the Lord. The Lord says, go after him. Should I pursue them? Absolutely, go pursue them. Matter of fact, not only will you pursue them, but I'm going to give them into your hand. Not only that, but I'm going to give you everything that that was taken as well. And so he and his men take off. There's 600 of them. And uh, as they arrive here at this particular place, Bezor, there's a couple hundred of these men who are just downright exhausted. They couldn't fight if they had to. They had no energy. They were just wore out. Remember, they, they'd been come back from a journey. Here they are now, uh, overwhelmed with grief, and now they're making this attempt to go and to, to regain or recapture their wives, their families. But they, they're just totally and completely exhausted. So 200 in verse 9 and 10 remain. And uh, they stay behind. Then we find that there's a tremendous victory. Of course, David and his 400 others pursue. They are blessed with a great victory. And God just delivers everything into their hands. And so on the way back, they're coming back over this place, Bezor, and they run into these 200. They come running up, hey, how'd it go? And they see their wives and their families, and they see the spoil of their city, and they're excited. How'd it go? What happened? And next thing you know, these men, the Bible says wicked men, the Bible says men of Belial, they, uh, they got a pretty bad attitude about some things. Now, I'm not so sure that it wouldn't have been the same attitude you and I would have had. 
you know, it's easy for us to look back and say, boy, those guys really had no heart. They had no compassion. They didn't care about anybody but themselves. But you've got to remember something. I mean, these men also came back. These are the same men that saw their city on fire. These are the same men who recognized and realized their wives, their families had been taken by the Amalekites. They're the same ones that went across Bezor and left those 200 behind to go fight a battle with sword and spear. And they fought a battle. I mean, they literally killed hundreds and hundreds of enemies. And here they are now, weary themselves from battle. Here they are now, bringing back the spoil of that victory. And here's 200 of them that are waiting on them when they arrive. And they say, wait a second. Here's the bottom line. We fought the battle. We got the victory. They didn't fight with us. They get nothing. Sound familiar? Now, it doesn't sound to me like the 200 that remained behind had no responsibility, though. They stayed by the stuff, it says. Now, I don't know what that means exactly, because last I thought, I thought all the stuff was gone. So I'm not sure exactly what that means, 100%. But what it does imply is that there was some responsibility. They were fulfilling a purpose. That's what I do understand from the passage. They must have been fulfilling a purpose because they were staying by the stuff. Now, I don't know exactly what the stuff was or what that means exactly. But obviously, they were left by David and said, you know what? It's ridiculous. It's improbable. It's impractical to think that you 200 are going to be able to go over and be of any benefit to us at all in this battle at this point. As a matter of fact, it'll probably just cost you your lives. So you know what? You stay here. You care for this. You stick by the stuff. You stay and remain right here. And when we return, we want to see you there waiting. Again, these come back. The Bible calls them wicked. It says here in verse 21, David came with the 200 and they were, they were so faint that they could not follow David, these 200, or th- these particular ones. And uh, again, David... Uh, answered all the wicked men and men of Belial of those that went with David and said, now there's a, uh, there's a group of them because they were not, they went not with us. We will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered. Saved every man, his wife and his children. We'll give them their wives and their children and tell them to go ahead and get out of here. But other than that, they're getting nothing from us. Then said David, notice David now, verse 23 We see his position in this whole thing. Ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Now, I want you to notice what he's really saying here. He's saying, first of all, don't deny them the spoils. And what he's saying later is, the Lord not you did it. You you see that? The Lord, not you, did it. And so what what we find, you say, what do you mean? Well, he says, goes on to say, God preserved and protected us in the battle. God did that. You say, but I had a spear and I had a sword and I had a shield. He says, no, God protected and preserved us in the battle. And not only that, but God is the one that delivered the enemy into our hand. I know, but David, you led us into battle. 
You brought about a great victory. He says, no, I didn't bring the victory. You followed me into battle, yes, but we really followed the Lord into battle. It was really the Lord that himself that protected and preserved us and delivered the enemy into our hands. So now, here's the point. You come back here now, and you look at those 200 that stayed by the stuff, those 200 that fulfilled the responsibility that was given them when we departed, and you say they have no part in the spoil because they weren't in the battle. But in reality, you didn't win the battle. God won the battle. So shut your mouth and give them theirs. That's exactly what he said. He might not have said it exactly that way, but boy, I tell you what, i got to believe David had to get a little upset with those boys they were wicked men they were men of belial and let me tell you what people like that have horrible horrible attitudes and sometimes they need a good swift kick in the butt the bottom line was is that they were prideful they were arrogant they were self-righteous They thought that they themselves had won the victory and therefore it was theirs to do with as they pleased and there's nobody that deserves it but those that were with us in the battle. That'd be like a ball team that plays out there on the field, possibly even on the basketball basketball, um, court and uh, you, you got, what, 12 players on the team, 10 to 12 players and maybe the coach only has a rotation of seven and when they win the championship... The seven that played on the court say, hey, listen, you three or you five extra players get nothing because the fact was you didn't even get on the court. Can you imagine how ridiculous that would be? They practiced with them. They helped make them what they were. They were all part of one team. And yet all of a sudden now, the players who actually got onto the court say, you didn't actually go out and dribble a ball. You didn't actually put up a shot. You didn't actually defend anybody. You sat on the bench and watched as we did all the work. And now you want to ring? We would go, they're nuts. And that's exactly what David was saying. You guys are nuts. See, victory is always the Lord's doing. It's not ours. <clears throat> John fifteen five. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. This particular truth is addressed over and over and over again in the New Testament. And as a matter of fact, it is the secret to victorious Christian living. In his book, Singles, you're going to hate me. You're going to hate me, aren't you? We got our Book of the Month Club meeting tonight. In his book, They Found the Secret, Raymond Edmonds shares the life of W.E. and Thomas. He quotes him saying this, So I soon learned to count upon him because then things happened. That is the secret. It's so simple. Just to relate everything to the Lord Jesus and take our hands off. To stand back and say, I thank thee, Lord. This is thy situation. He goes on to say, it is possible to do ten times as much work as most people can do without breaking down when it is not our activity but his. Most folks break down simply because they're carrying all their own burdens and all their own problems, sleeping with them, crowding in their own minds. Nervous strain strain comes from assuming a responsibility for things 
that were never intended to be carried by you. Rest in Him. It is a wonderful rest. I can work through the night two or three times a week when it is necessary. Sometimes I have to, though it's not to be recommended, he puts in quotations, and still feel fresher than many other folk so long as it is His activity. Isn't that something? You know what this particular man had learned? This particular gentleman that lived in the 19th century, he understood that the presence of Christ, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, allowing Christ to live in and through him, the crucified life, that that life was a refreshing life, that life was a a worthwhile life, that life was a productive life. And he realized that God himself brings about all good things and all bad things and everything that God wants for him, he's able to accomplish and fulfill and do and endure if indeed he will let Christ live in and through him. The problem is so often we tend to take credit for what is accomplished. We want to somehow feel that it is our effort, our ability, our strength, our talent that gets it done. And may I say today that according to the word of God, it was not you or me or anybody else that wins the victory. It is God alone that wins the victory. I want to share three practical truths that we learned from our passage this evening. Very practical truths. And they're they're not tough. They're simple. But I think they're helpful and they're those things that we need to be continually reminded of. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time that we have now in the Word. Just these next few moments, Lord, bless us and help us. And Holy Spirit of God, show up. Lord, it would be a futile effort if, Father, it's not done in your presence and power. God of heaven, let me be your mouthpiece. And Lord, may you open every ear that we may hear with spiritual ears. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Here are the three practical truths. Number one, every person plays a part. Every person plays a part. Again, remember, these 600 men go forth to recapture the spoil. They go forth to retake the, 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 the husbands, uh, excuse me, the wives and the children that had been taken. And yet 200 of them remain behind, while the other 400 go into battle. But every person plays a part. Look, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. One of the great problems of our churches is that of arrogance. That of self-righteousness. That of an inflated view of self. A view that says, boy, look at me. I'm in the choir, I sing specials, I go soul winning, I teach Sunday school, I'm in the bus ministry, I am a good Christian. I'm really doing God a good turn. I'm sure that, I'm sure that everybody in the church is very grateful that I am involved. Because without me, things wouldn't be like they are. That's a pretty arrogant attitude. But that is a very common attitude in our churches. An inflated view of self. Taking way too much credit. When in reality we should take none. Every person 
plays a part. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. I want you to notice again the many parts here. There are many parts to this body. I mean, we think of our body. I have a nose and eyes and ears, a mouth, a tongue. I've got hands and forearms and biceps, of which I can't take the jacket off or I'd ruin it for many of you ladies. There's all of these parts of this body. And you have the same parts in most cases. We all do in that regard as a whole. The fact is, is there's a number of parts that comprise the body, make up the body. All of those parts are unique. They are all different and distinct. They're, we're like, they're like snowflakes in a sense. You know, when we think about even the body of Christ, we think about this local assembly called out from among the world, and we look at each individual and we say, boy, we're all so different. Oh, there may be characteristics and qualities that are the same. However, we are all unique. We are all very distinct, different in one or other regard. See, the body has many parts, and that's what he's teaching us here, many parts. Every person, however, fits in some place, somewhere, somehow. Every person plays a part. We learn that from our passage in Samuel, and we learn it even in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians. Number two, not only does every person play a part, but every part fulfills a purpose. In 1 Corinthians 12 again, verse 19, as we continue reading, it says, And if they were all one member, where would the body? Where would the body? There would be no body if we're all one. If we're all big toes, we wouldn't have a body. If we're all noses, we wouldn't have a body. But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are what? Necessary. Did, did you get that? Do you understand what he's saying? Okay, yes, every person plays a part, but every part fulfills a purpose. Therefore, in this particular case in the body, listen, every finger has its own purpose. So go ahead and lose your thumb and see how easy it is to pick things up. Listen, there are pieces and parts that are so important until you lose them, you don't realize how we take them for granted. Every person plays a part in the body. The, the body here, local body. Listen, by the way, and I, I, I want to make this clear, we don't function in a universal body. We don't do that. One day, the body of Christ will be universally 
placed together. One day we'll all stand together as one body in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Until that day, God functions and operates through the local body. And every local body has pieces and parts. And the truth is, is that every person plays a part and every part fulfills a purpose. That means that the least even, he says, has or fulfills a purpose in this body. Everybody does. And someone says, well, I'm really involved. And there are some people in this church that aren't involved. And there are people that are just sitting on the fringes. And all they do is come Sunday morning and maybe occasionally Sunday night or Wednesday night. And, 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 and they don't really do what I do. And they're just not, you know, it wouldn't even, if they didn't even come, it wouldn't even matter. You say, oh, nobody would ever say that. Oh, but there are people that would think that. Well, let me tell you something. According to the Word of God, you got your theology all mixed up, you wicked and son of Belial. Listen, you know, just because someone's not where you think you are doesn't mean that they are of no value to God in the body. Now, I'm not saying that they don't need to maybe take another step in the right direction. I'm not saying that they don't need to necessarily draw a little bit more nigh to Christ. That's fine. But I got a feeling we could all do that and, and benefit. But the reality is, is that every single person, every part, fulfills a purpose. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. God says, because we do play a part, because we are a valuable piece of the body, it's important that we put ourselves in a place and a position to influence one another, to encourage one another. And you say, well, there's some that just aren't here all the time, and there's some that won't get involved in this promotion, and there are others that just won't pull out soul winning, and there are other. Yes, I understand that. But let me tell you something. They all have a part and a piece in the body. And the Bible even says simply this. He says, Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. They may not be doing everything that some are doing. They may not play as big a role in what we would consider the success of the church, but they are necessary because they do fulfill a function a purpose in the body. Just because they fulfill a smaller place doesn't make them less needed. See how easy it would be. It can be very easy. As faithful members of a local body to get attitudes towards those that are less faithful. Because if you're not careful, we can feel like David's men that went to the battle. And while we're knocking on the doors, we're thinking, where's everybody else at? We're all those lazy, good-for-nothing, supposed Christians. Now, nobody in this room would ever think anything like that. But you know how easy it would be to do that if you got carnal and in the flesh? If you started doing it, not remembering and realizing that it's the Lord doing it and not you? 
And all of a sudden, we got a problem. See, each part has a specific purpose. No job is identical. We are individuals without doubt, and God places us in the body based upon our uniqueness. You know, there are some in this room that probably couldn't go door to door. Does that make them less valuable? Someone says, well, I mean, it doesn't make them less valuable if they can't go. Well, did you ever think that maybe some people can't? I'm not saying they don't want to. They just don't want to. I'm saying they can't. No, but, but, but if we're not careful, we lump everybody together. They're either like me or they're not like anybody. They're either a nose or a toe or they're nothing. Because that's what I am. No, you're probably another part, but we won't discuss that right now. Now, I didn't say anything. What? Okay, so finally, number three now. So we've already noted every person plays a part. Every part fulfills a purpose. Here's the last thought. Every purpose promotes prosperity. See, if everybody in the church, if every part has a purpose, then when all those purposes are fulfilled, the whole prospers. When they're all doing what they're supposed to do in that regard. Now, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, <coughs> excuse me, says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In the passage, obviously, we, we see that every person played a role. Now, David's men played a role. We don't, we're not exactly sure what staying by the stuff meant. I'm not sure, at least. You might have a better handle on that than I. But either way, they're told to remain here, Here's Bezor, you stay right here. We're going over, and we're going to fight. And the 400 did, and God gave them a great victory. He preserved and protected them, and then he, he gave them into their hands, the enemy into their hands. They come back with the spoils, and there are those that were left behind for the express purpose of staying by the stuff. In the body of Christ, not everybody's going to cross the river and go into the battle. But everybody has a place. Everybody needs to at least stick to the stuff. It's only when every part of the body is working together that it functions properly. Now listen, if your legs don't work on your body, then you are going to be hampered the reality. It, we know how that works. If, if your legs aren't working properly, you're hampered. You can't get around like you used to. You can't move about freely as you, as you would like to. You're hampered. If for some reason your eyes or your ears are not working as they're designed to work, then you're going to suffer to some degree or another. That's all there is to it. Because see, when the parts are not fulfilling their purpose, then there's going to be an effect, a negative effect. So for each of us in the room today, we're all part of the body here, the local body. And God indeed has a purpose for all of us. That purpose is determined based on ability and opportunity. 
Now, we have to avail ourselves to God and opportunity. Some are physically unable to cross over the river and go fight in that battle over there. Some are so wore out, so burdened down, that they're unable at this point to go fight that particular battle. But they still have a part and a purpose, and without them taking and fulfilling their purpose, which could simply be something like prayer. It could be something like, you may not be able to knock on a door, but you could invite somebody to church. You may not be able to knock on a door, but you could possibly pass out a track. You may not be able to knock on a door, but you could encourage family and friends to come to Christ. You may not be able to teach Sunday school, but you might be able to help with the cleaning crew. You might not be able to expound the Word of God and counsel in the right manner because you just don't have the background. But you could possibly help the couriers take the little kids out and make sure they're hanging things on doors and so forth. If we had more workers, we could get more done there. I'm just saying, the problem is, is this. We have a tendency to look at those who aren't doing exactly what we're doing, and if we're not careful, we even disdain them, look down on them. When God says, no, 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 we have to be so careful because that which seems more feeble, they're necessary. And here's the responsibility you and I have. What can you do? I mean... What, are you fulfilling your purpose? Are you content to be a little toe if God wants you to be a hand? Do you get where I'm going with that now? However, every part must value its uniqueness. And every purpose must be fulfilled in order for the church to accomplish its God-given role in the world and in eternity. Saturday morning, there'll be a number of people I trust planning on going out knocking doors. But I sure hope there's a number of people who say, physically, I'm unable to go knock on a door. I may not be able to maneuver the steps anymore. I may not be able to get around some of the obstacles that I would face out there. My eyesight's not what it used to be. I don't see things the way I did. My, 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 my legs don't work quite like they used to, but... I can reach heaven with my prayers. And I'm hoping Saturday there'll be some people that may not be able to go out and knock on a door, but they can certainly pray for those that are going. They can stay by the stuff. And every soul that's saved and every bit of, of, of spoil that's brought back, every victory that's won is shared because it takes the whole to accomplish it. The truth is that each part must value the other and their particular purpose in the body. It cannot be a unity of mind, a unity of spirit where there is envy and strife among the members. We can't be guilty of begrudging another their place in the body either. 
just as we often we look from one direction that way and we say, well, they ought to be doing. If we're not careful, we can be looking the other way and go, I don't know why I can't. That's just as wicked. At least that attitude is. I don't understand why they, but I don't. Oh, really? Maybe that's why. That's probably why right there. But I have gifts. I bear gifts. Why don't you serve where you're at? Why don't you fulfill the purpose that you presently hold? Take your place. Fulfill your part where you're at the way you should. You might be surprised how God may say, you know what? Let's move in this direction. Every person plays a part. Every part fulfills a purpose. Every purpose promotes prosperity. Every single cylinder firing as God intended. That's what we need. You may not be able to do what you'd want to do. But are you doing what you can do? That's all. And if you're doing that, then you know what? You're fulfilling your purpose in the body then. How many noses does a body need, by the way? How many? You get more than one, you might have a little confusion there. You imagine if you had three eyes in your head? I mean, you'd probably make a good living in a circus. But you don't need three eyes. You only need two. Can you imagine if you had an extra arm? Sometimes we wish we had an extra arm to help out, extra hand especially. But that'd be kind of fun, funny, funky looking. And can you imagine that if I had one in the back and it would reach over here like this and grab my glasses for me as I was going, hey, let me shake your hand today. Can you imagine that? I don't mind my other hand, all right? They'd be like, I mean, I can't, they probably wouldn't hang around here very long. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we may even believe that we belong to be the other arm when there's only need for two. What we need is what we need, and God's the one who puts people in places. We must be content in our place, but in every part, there is a purpose. And we cannot begrudge anyone, and we must fulfill our purpose in that body in order for the whole to succeed and to prosper. No part is too little. No part has, is insignificant. Sunday morning folk who don't come back Sunday night and Wednesday night are needed here. Someone says, I don't understand why they won't come back. I don't always understand either. However, they're needed. Now, many of them need to come back and could come back. And we need to encourage them to come back Sunday night and Wednesday night. 
But we shouldn't be upset with them because they're not here and we are. If anything, we ought to be brokenhearted that we are here and they are not. Because they're missing out on what God wants for them. The body. Everyone doing their part. Every person plays a part. Every part fulfills a purpose. Every purpose fulfills or promotes prosperity. This Saturday, this promotion, this Tuesday and Thursday, will you be fulfilling your purpose? I mean, every part's needed. You say, well, I, my schedule is, I can't be. I understand. Listen, we, we understand that. Some of you work nights. It makes it tough for you. I understand that. That's why we have Tuesday night, Thursday night, and Saturday mornings. Come on out and be a part of it. Everyone, though, is important. And you who cannot go soul winning, won't you come and pray? You who can't be here Saturday to come pray in the morning, could you pass out some tracks this week? Could you invite some people to church? Could you encourage family and friends to attend? Everybody doing their part, fulfilling their purpose, will provide and ultimately bring about prosperity. That's what God wants from us as a body. Everyone doing their part.